Hello and welcome to the third episode of TPWTP. That's the podcast with Tom Polos. We have an amazing program for you guys today. From Disney's The Muppets, Peter Linz joins me, as does NBC's The Sing-Off and Singing Sensation, Kenton Chen. Also, a guy from my apartment complex claims he's going to drop by. I'll believe it when I see it. Hopefully you guys will hear it. You're listening to the podcast with Tom Polos, a.k.a. TPWTP. Welcome back to TP with TP. We are thrilled to report uh, a Peter Lynn sighting on our show. Um, Peter, am I pronouncing? I ne- never heard of him, but Peter, am I pronouncing that right, Peter? Yes, in some countries it's Peter, but uh, <laughs> Peter is fine. Excellent. Uh, well, a brief background check um, for our listeners. Um, and Peter, you can just sit back and, and listen to your talents be uh, recounted. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so Peter, uh, is an astonishingly gifted, uh, puppeteer who's been responsible for our joy often without us even knowing it. Certainly knows how to get to Sesame Street as he's been on the program since the Clinton administration. And, uh, he's brought us, uh, such great characters as Tutter and Pip from Bear in the Big Blue House, Theo the Lion from Between the Lions, he's been on Blue's Clues, It's a Big Big World, Lomax, The Hound of Music, Cousin Skeeter, The Puzzle Place, 30 Rock, and oh, he dabbled on Broadway in the Tony Award-winning production of Avenue Q. But what have you done for me lately? Peter brings the newest Muppet, Walter, to life in Disney's The Muppets, which has only made $50 million. How do you like them egg rolls, Mr. Goldstone? Wow, that's cool. I didn't realize that we'd gotten to 50 yet. That's terrific. I think that that bio, I mean, that could go on your website that's coming soon. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, man, you've done the the late night circuit. You were on SNL, and then you went to Jimmy Fallon, and now it makes sense that you've trickled down to my program. So thank you for joining me. I trickled down. I think I ascended to your program, TP. See, this is how, this is this is why I have you on. Just the love and adoration. You're in this new movie, Disney the Muppets, and again, you're the driving force behind it. Walter's character is the reason the plot takes place. Um, I, I first would love for you to just describe to our to our listeners who Walter is and what his his position in the movie is. Sure, sure. Uh, well, for those of you who've not seen the film, Walter's just a guy. He's just an everyday guy who, who happens to be uh, about eighteen inches tall and um, and made of fleece. Um, and this guy, he's a he's basically the world's biggest Muppet fan. Um, he's he's smart but but a little naive. And uh, he's the kind of person who sees the good in everyone. Now, how much of Walter were you able to create yourself? I know, you, you know, there's the audition process or whatever, but it seems like usually um, Muppeteers have some, some wiggle room for bringing a lot of their own ideas to the work. So how much of it was dictated by the script and text? And how much of Walter were you able to, um, you know, create from scratch? Right. Well, you know, um, of course... To- Jason, Jason created the character in that, you know, he wrote him uh, for the movie. And then uh, a brilliant puppet designer by the name Paul Andreco designed his look. Uh, Stefan Rochenduro, an incredible Emmy Award-winning puppet builder, uh, built Walter. And so my job as a puppeteer is to come in, uh, just like any actor who takes on a role, and just to make it three-dimensional, to not to be too precious about it, but to give him a soul. And figure out, you know, get down to the root of who he is and know how he would react in any given situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, at, at my audition, the one thing we did was we read 
five scenes from the movie together. Just just cool. Just Jason and I had I had the uh, the um, the prototype Walter for, for that one. We had twenty minutes of improv. We did these scenes together, and I asked James at the time. He, he wasn't giving me any feedback. So after a couple of scenes, I'm like, do you want me to do something different? I can I can do change the voice a little bit. Do something you know, come from a different angle. He's like, no no no, it's it's brilliant. You know, believe me, I, I tell you if you do something wrong. But no, keep keep doing it. It's great. <laughs> so um, I don't know what my point is. <laughs> it, it just yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was love at first sight with Walter and you said you know you, you you get to bring it to life and you have that opportunity to um, take what the puppet designer did and what the, the writer did Jason and Nick and um, when I was watching it I couldn't help just maybe I'm reading into this too much associating these parallels between Walter and Kermit in the sense that not only are, you know, is Walter and Kermit the Frog, both they're such optimists and they're, and they're sort of, they have a great moral compass, but they're also in the design, like you were talking about, they're both designed like sock puppets. And yeah. with Kermit and Walter, like the pinch of a finger can bring a completely different emotion or expression. And do you think that was intentional or is, is um, am I reading into this too much or... Yeah. No, no, no. You, you, you got, you got it just right. I mean, um, I wasn't, I wasn't in from the beginning with the design process, but I've heard Jason talk about it and how he said, you know, they, they knew, they wanted, um, they knew they wanted Walter to have somewhat of a flexible face like Kermit, so that, so yeah, just like you say, so he could have all that different expression. So that was definitely by design that he's kind of, he's just basically a sock puppet with a squishy head. With this movie, a lot of people are sort of being drawn to it because. Uh, you know, they watched The Muppet Show when they were younger, and this movie has more of a Muppet Show feel to it than the more recent Disney movie, or excuse me, the more recent Muppet movies. What do you make of that? Because, like, you know, when I'm watching it, I see, you know, these, these characters that I only really remember from The Muppet Show sometimes. Like, they bring Uncle Deadly back, and uh, they bring back that weird baby Muppet from, like, the Bobby Benson and the Baby Band sketches. Oh, yeah, Bobby, Bobby. Yeah, and and even and even in the oh how charming finale, they have uh, the Suggs and the Muppaphone, um, and and I was just wondering, uh, you know, what you had on that, or if James and and Jason, you know, really wanted to stick to a specific um, era in the Muppets. Um, you know, Jason and it, it wasn't meant to be a slight to anybody. It's just that Jason and and, and uh, Nick Stoller were just huge, huge fans of the Muppet Show, and that was. Jason's, I mean, when he says in interviews, this is his first introduction to comedy. And so he just loves, loves, loves the original Muppets, the original first three movies. So when he wrote, he and Nick wrote the script, um, they did it in the style of those original movies. Because that's what that's what they were such big fans of. I'm, I'm also, I mean, I'm very similar to Walter in that I'm a long-time fan. And I know it's just so much fun to see those characters, who, you know, some of them we haven't seen in, in over 30 years, like Marvin Suggs and the Muppet Phone and the baby band and Thoth and Beautiful Day Monster, Wayne and Wanda. <laughs> Was there any sort of reservation or did any of the Muppeteers or people on the project, was anyone sort of nervous when Frank Oz decided not to take on the project or what, what was going around the water cooler when that happened? You know, I, I wasn't around for any of that part, but, um, you know, just Frank hasn't actually performed any of these characters in years. Um, for the last, I think, six or seven years at least, Eric Jacobson, a young puppeteer uh, my age, actually, uh, has been has taken over many of Frank's characters. And um, that's something that's incredibly difficult to do. 
you know, I mean, it's it's one thing to create your own. I mean, I'm, I got an advantage with Walter because you know he, he was kicks his creation. Of course, was started by Jason, uh, and then I get to flesh him out. But now going forward, I get to. I, it goes back to your earlier question. I have a lot more say in who he is and you know what his role is going to be with the Muppets in the future. Um, but uh, for Eric to come in and, and try to. You know, it's, it's more than just imitating a voice. It's hugely more than that. Because, you know, these characters all stem from... You know, a, a huge part of them is the person who creates them. And that's that's so much deeper than an, uh, than an impression. You know, he's got to know deep down inside where these characters are coming from personally and how they would react in any given situation. And um, it's an incredible job. Sorry, I keep going back to that. But, no, I... I so, you know, Frank would... Even... I don't think Frank would have ever been <laughs> ever performed puppets in this movie. He doesn't. He hasn't done that for years. You, you talk about this uh, this personal connection that you have to create with the Muppets and the other actors, and I was just wondering if you believe your degree in psychology has served you in any way as a Muppeteer. Ah, uh, uh, no. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> at all. I mean, for, first of all, it's a bachelor's. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't. You don't get really deep. And it, it, it was about halfway through my junior year when I you know, decided or remembered my childhood dream of being wanting to be a puppeteer with, uh, for film and television and the Muppets. Um, so, you know, I, I, I finished out school and I got my degree, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and my, parents, my parents always taught me that, you know, it, it really looks good that you, you finish what you start, you know. So I wasn't about to drop out of college. Co college education was highly, highly valued in my family. Uh, my mother has a master's, my father has several degrees, a master's uh, in engineering and a PhD in psychology, and uh, so, you know, I, I finished school, but I, I don't think that really had much influence. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, deciding to um, finish school is a very adult thing to do, and it sort of shows a sign of maturity and shows that you're a man, and the question has always been, are you a Muppet or a man? And... I yeah, I'm, I'm a Muppet of a man. Sure. You're a Muppet. Whereas Walter is a very manly Muppet. <laughs> yeah, you're, well, I'm a Muppety man. Can you tell us a little bit, because that, that uh, song written by, I think, Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords, yeah. um, absolutely just brought the house down when uh, when I saw it. So could you talk a little bit about the music in the show and, and what that brings to this picture? And, um, yeah, specifically a Muppet or a man. Um, working with uh, Jim Parsons of the Big Bang Theory, and has anyone thought that he was actually the voice of Walter? Go from there. Oh, I don't, th I, I don't think anyone's thought that at all. I mean, it, the fact that Jim was in the movie is, I think, it's, well, it's one of the big surprises. That's something that hasn't really been in the press. Uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> dude. Sorry about that. Um, Spoiled. But work, no, Brent, Brent McKenzie is fantastic. It was so wonderful working with him. He's a terrific music. I mean, obviously, he's a great writer and singer. But also, also music director. Um, he's got such an incredible ear. And as far as you know, the choice—I I think it was James and Jason's choice of bringing Brett on. Um, and if you think about it, you know, Concord's music is pretty muppety anyway. It's already—it's <laughs> already more than halfway there. And uh, you know, his, his songs are just—they're wonderful. They're—they're they're clever and, and hugely infectious. I don't know anybody that doesn't go out of that theater is still singing. Um, you know, everything's great. Everything's grand. I got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand. My, I mean, my my kids are still singing it every day. Um, <laughs> and it's not because you forced them to, which is so nice. No, no, please, not at all. <laughs> and, and and Jason and I had a great time singing uh, Muppet or Man. You know, we were actually in the studio together. Uh, we had our microphones were side by side, 
and that was that was true of uh, most of the songs we did together. Uh, we were we were in the recording studio at the same time, and Brett was directing the sessions. Uh, but the first time I heard that song, uh, James and Jason had taken the the main uh, seven Muppeteers all out to a really nice dinner right before we started production, and. Uh, uh, halfway through dinner, Jason says, "Oh, have, have you heard? Have you heard our song yet?" I said, "No, no, I, I, I haven't heard it all mixed." He's like, "Oh, oh my gosh, it's great!" So we stepped outside, and he put it on his, he had it on his uh, iPhone, and we listened to it. And he's like, "We sound awesome together. We're gonna do this on Letterman." <laughs> really, it was really exciting. Yeah, yeah. He's right, we sounded, we sounded great together. What was you really did? What was the um? What was it like working with Jason? Because you know he's you know like the the star human in it and also it's it's sort of his baby it's his project um it, it sounds like it was an absolute joy but when you write something you, you're sort of attached to it and you you have a way of how you think it like should be delivered or how you think it might come out in its in its best form you know J jason was hugely hugely respectful of of the director of james bobin and and of all the muppeteers he's he's such a good guy i mean like the, the way you see him in, in interviews, he's kind of like Kermit the Frog that way. You know, what you see is what you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jason's a really genuine guy. And, yeah, actually I wondered about that, too, before we started the film. I wondered if he would be, you know, precious about the words and the script. And, no, you know, Jason and his whole team, uh, the whole Judd Apatow group, improv is such, is such a huge part of what they do. And those guys are all just brilliant at it. Um so no, I mean we, we would do takes over and over, and it was never the same scene twice, and you know that was intentional. Uh, we'd always try to mix things up a bit, make little changes, try to find you know, the funniest, try try everything, you know, to try to get the, the scene the best it could be. It was great, and you know even just screwing around between takes uh, with with Walter and Jason, we just had so much fun. Recently, recently on this press junket we did, they paired us up for like something like eighty on camera interviews where it was just Jason and Walter. And just answering questions and talking together, and we just—it's so much fun, it's so much fun. Yeah, and and that's a, it's a sort of this beautiful joy you see in the beginning of the movie of Walter and um, Gary growing up, and you know you see Gary physically growing, but they're still growing as as a brotherhood. Um, and then it's it's kind of amazing this sort of uh, sort of separate world they create with small town, and then you guys go to. Hollywood, where it's all gritty and gross and not what you imagine, and it's you know the studio is completely decrepit and shut down, and it's run by like a aged Alan Arkin, and um, it's 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 really beautiful and like you know I think all like you were saying before a a great tribute to to the the past and and the past Henson Studios. When I first saw the movie, it was just I saw it with the other guys, and it was uh, it was still rough. You know, it didn't have all the sound in it. They didn't have quite all the dialogue. wasn't quite right. Uh, the credits weren't in it at all. And after seeing it, um, I, I think I said to, to Eric and, and Matt Vogel, I was like, this, is, this movie's a, a love letter to the Muppets. You get this sense when you read what people are saying online or um, what the reviews are. Um, people who you know, are adults now and really grew up with the Muppet show are looking back on it and they're, you know, again, they're, they're reintroducing it to their children and it's, it's really, it's a win-win-win. I wanted to ask you, as we were talking about Alan Arkin before and Jim Parsons before, um, who was your surprise cameo or your favorite celebrity to work with that you may not have expected to be as fun as they were or something like that? That's like asking me to pick one of who's my favorite child. I mean, I'm going to ask you that next, so you better have a good answer. Oh, man. Oh, no. None of them are home right now, so that's good. <laughs> no, um, 
they were all amazing. Everybody was just, I, I had so many pinch me moments, just the, the people that I was acting alongside. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the most amazing days for me personally as an actor was when, and it's actually a scene that's not even in the movie. Um, so I'm hopefully hoping it'll make it onto the DVD as a deleted scene, but um, Bob Corddry had a part in this film, and he was playing one of those grungy uh, street-performing Superman guy, you know, just the guy on Hollywood Boulevard who's dressed up like Superman. Yeah, yeah. But of course, Walter and Gary are, are, are so, they've been so sheltered, they're so naive, they think it really is Superman. Or, you know, Mary, Mary's a little wiser, but uh, <laughs> Gary and Walter are like, oh my gosh, it's Superman. So anyway, that day we, we were shooting in front of the, of the Chinese theater, and it was just me, <laughs> Jason Siegel, Amy Adams, and Rob Corddry all acting together in this two-page scene. And uh, they had shut down part of Hollywood Boulevard for that. And I was just, I was like, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not this, I'm not that good. <laughs> Stop that. Stop that. Be kind. I'm not that good. Give yourself a so hug. That, that, was, that was pretty astounding. But, um, all, I mean, all the celebrities we got to work with were just, they were all great. And they were all like kids, you know. We, we barely had a chance to be starstruck by them because they were so busy being starstruck by the Muppets. Now, are you are you aware that you're now part of that folklore? Walter now has his own doll out. He has his own plush toys. He's probably going to be on like Happy Meal stuff. What what does that do for you when you look at that as a huge Muppet fan and you realize that you're now you know in in that Muppet encyclopedia? Yeah, you know, I I don't think it's really sunk in yet. Um, I haven't really given it much thought to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I'm I'm still. I, you know, I'm, I'm still working on discovering who Walter is and, and what, you know, what's going to happen to him going forward and how he fits in with the Muppets. I, I haven't thought too much about him actually being part of the Muppet canon. It's all, it's all, it's all still so new. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I, uh, I, I guess I haven't allowed myself to think about that. Well, I'll allow you to think about this. Um, what, what is the next phase? Do they have anything... Planned, or are they just going to ride this way for a little longer? Because I think it was even more successful than Disney would have imagined. What is next for Walter? I can't imagine that Disney doesn't have some <laughs> sort of plan, but uh, whatever it is, I haven't been privy to do it yet. I mean, for the immediate future, the movie's only been out for a week, uh, a week and a half, I suppose. So, um, you know, I've, I've got more interviews and things lined up, or rather Walter does. I've, I've done very few interviews as myself. They've mostly been Walter. So I've got some more of those to do. But, um, you know, uh, my crystal ball says, I don't know, it's a little cloudy. So I certainly hope that, uh, that there's more, more good stuff for, for Walter Hand the Muppets, of course. Now, when you're having these sound sessions, it, are, you, are you holding Walter as you do it? Or is it just Peter? Oh, when I'm just... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you tell people. Uh, yeah, no, if it's just for radio or for or audio or something, no, it's just, it's just Peter. Is your hand uh, is your hand is your hand still moving? Believe it or not, no. Um, <laughs> my hand is uh, doing a crossword puzzle. Uh, <laughs> a Sudoku. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm smoking a cigarette and doing the crossword. No. Uh, <laughs> now if now, now but I have done radio interviews before where we've gone to the station and for those I always do have the puppet with me. I mean I, I haven't I haven't done anything like that with Walter yet, but I have um, I've done radio interviews with uh, Theo, my character from Between the Lions. And so, this, so I have the puppet there in the studio, so the DJ is actually talking to Theo. We, we did, we did uh, NPR Weekend Edition one time, and, uh, 
had had Theo right there and, and uh, you know, the interviewer you know, talking right to him, which is great. I love that. Yeah, and especially because it seems like when people are talking to Muppets, they're far more attentive and are like actually like looking at them and are really trying to understand where they're coming from. It's actually kind of wonderful to see. So my final thought, and actually I've had Walter said this too in his interviews, um, is that you know Kermit the Frog once said that he had a dream about singing and dancing and making people happy, and that that's the kind of dream that gets better the more people you share it with. So um, that's what he wants to do. He wants to share Kermit's dream with everybody. Singing and dancing and making people happy. And go see The Muppets if you haven't seen it yet. What are you waiting for? It's the best reviewed movie of 2011. I mean, come on! Come on, people. Get on it. Well, I'm sure actually a lot of our listeners have seen it, and they're probably incredibly excited to be hearing you talk, even though you're probably doing a crossword puzzle as you're doing this interview. I'm, I'm so... Actually, I'm so not. I'm, I'm completely with you here. <laughs> the other thing is it's, it's a great date movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't I know it. Um... And I just, I just again, can't thank you enough for coming on the show and dealing with um, uh, me and all of our audio stuff. We've, we've come full circle because uh, Walter, you know, gets to spend time amidst his heroes and amidst all their talents. And uh, I feel a bit like that right now as I uh, greatly admire you and your work. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on my show. Aw, that's so nice of you, Tiki. Thank you. Well, you know, that, that's, um, that's all we can do, PL. Just, just, uh keep on dreaming with kermit and walter there you go there you go and uh yeah i think that's it all right thank Thank you you so much (laughs) all right welcome to tp with tp we are here with kenton chen kenton welcome to the program it's good to be here (laughs) kenton um am i pronouncing that right kenton yeah, yeah, you can say Kenton, you can say Kenton, it doesn't matter. Oh, I thought I could say Kenton. Um, <laughs> now, uh, for our guests, we're just going to give you a little uh, background check, if you will, on Mr. Kenton Chen. We're very happy to have you, we're very lucky, and we thank you very much for coming on the program. But first, we're just going to cut right to it so everyone can hear how talented you are, and you can just sit back and listen to your credits roll. La, 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 blah. Yeah, and that's how he sings, too. Um, <laughs> now, Ken is the music director of the Backbeats, um, a truly remarkable a cappella group that uh, performed and won third place uh, on NBC's The Sing-Off. And um, Kenton has a solo act, too, which is uh, nothing to sniff at. Um, <laughs> very impressive. He uh, finished touring this summer as the opening act to Ben Folds, which is unbelievable. And he's um, performed with an array of legends from Stevie Wonder to Sheryl Crow to Natalie Cole to uh, Sarah Bareilles and, of course, Ben Folds and Tom Polos. And, well, I, mean, I mean, really, Tom Polos is the biggest name in I didn't want to say it, but you did. Um, And one thing I'd also like to compliment Kentonoff right off the bat is really talented and really friendly, and he sort of dispels the myth that you have to be sort of a tortured, angry artist to have an amazing sound. (laughs) Thank you. Well, you know. The Backbeats. uh, You have a new album out. Can you tell us a little bit about The Backbeats and how you met? Well, I was um, actually in the audience of season one, my friend Kelly of J- the sing off of the sing on yes, yes. Um, and my friend uh, Kelly Jekyll was in a group called the SoCal's um, and I'd gone up in the audience participation time basically during the judges deliberation they have people go up and do a little oh, cool well, sing off uh-huh. um, <laughs> and uh, from there I think things just started rolling you know I got I got a call to audition for the show, and I said, you know, Kenton put together a group, and so I asked Kelly, you know, I said, well, will you help me put together a group? 
Um, she was like, yeah, sure. Um, and so then we got, you know, my friend, my best friend, Rachel Saltzman, uh, who is now the manager of our group. And, you know, we took her friends and Kelly's friends and we kind of just pieced us all together. Um, and all this led to all the amazing things that happened to you. The Ben Folds tour because, mm-hmm. you know, he was a judge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Bareilles being on your new album. Mm-hmm. All because of the sing off. How about that? Yeah, I mean, thanks to the Peacock of NBC. Thank you, NBC. to Nick Lachey. Thank you, Nick Lachey. Rumor, I've, rumor has it he hangs out around USC. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, he actually he knew about the Chick Fil A across the street before any of us did. <laughs> that's pretty weird because that's by student housing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, it's like it's, it was like it was a six degrees of separation, basically. Like who knew who? Your group is really like an amazing amalgamation with everything. Well, what they. What they liked to call us on the show, which we were all really opposed to, because we thought it made us seem really snobby, was we were the um, acapella all-star group, because mm-hmm. we had all done it. Yeah, there were other groups that were put together, but we were really the group that came all from acapella. And we knew each other through um, collegiate acapella competitions, and right. had gotten to be friends through that. That's amazing. You guys went so far in the competition, and it clearly opened all these doors for you. And now you have this new album... Uh, coming out, which has a really original title. What's the album title? It's called <laughs> The Backbeats. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. The Backbeats <laughs> title's called The Backbeats. Well, name recognition is great. Wait, wait. It's not just called The Backbeats. Okay. It's called The Backbeats from the sing-on. Oh, in case so, I thought it was the other back. Yeah, okay. so, so it's not a self-titled album. Right, that's true. That actually is our next album. It's gonna the, Our next album is going to be called The Backbeats. Or your album could be called The Backbeats from The Backbeats from The Backbeats from The Sing-Off. Exactly. Uh, you guys have an amazing sound. And I'm, Thank I'm, you. And the album art cover, if anyone goes to iTunes to check it out, The Backbeats, it, it's amazing. It's like a black and white portrait of everyone at a dental appointment. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's pretty hilarious. It's, it's but, no, funny. But, no, it doesn't... But seriously, all joking aside, your sound is amazing, and there, there sort of is... An inherent irony to making an acapella recording because you have a group of people and you have to sort of add some production value to it. You have mm-hmm. to have some ounce of editing, some bit of cleaning. Um, at least that's what my family tells me. I need some cleaning. And <laughs> and sort of that comes a time where it goes against the grain of a true acapella sound. Have you guys had to fight that or have you ever been critiqued because of that? Yeah, you know, I mean, when you do something live, it's one sound, and then you get in the studio, and it's a completely different one. And I think that goes with not just acapella, but any band in general. Um, and so we really had to fight that. Um, I wouldn't say fight. You know, we really, had to, <laughs> we really had to work around that, and we really wrestled with it with certain songs. You know, uh, so you're not fighting; you're just wrestling. We're just wrestling. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, with certain songs that we did on the show, especially like If I Were a Boy, we kept it really, really natural sounding. Um, and by the way, that song is amazing. I don't know the person who's the lead singer, but she's fantastic. It's one of your most downloaded songs on iTunes. And my question is, when you do um, an acapella album and, you know, the material is everyone else's except your own, do you have to pay rights? How does that work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's basically this thing for anybody Forgive who's... the foolish question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, for anybody who's 
interested and those people who do acapella stuff, um, I'm not as familiar with that, but anytime anybody covers yeah. uh, a song that is written by somebody else, you have to basically pay publishing fees to this agency, I think called Harry Fox or something well, like that. Well, I don't care about him. But I, I do <laughs> I do think you should do an entire album of covers. And I've pitched this to artists before. Do an album of covers, and the title of the album is called Under the Covers. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Thank I you. like that. Thank you. So if someone does it, they can look back to this program and say, hey, wasn't that Tom Polos's idea? And then someone will say, no, in court. <laughs> and that'll be it. Um, but I want to compliment your group again. We're going to play a clip um, from the Backbeats. And this is Kenton on lead. Now here's a clip from it. Well, that was great. <laughs> Um, but seriously, here is uh, a greater portion of <laughs> a greater portion of Kenton Chen lead vocals. The song is called "Every Teardrop Is a Waterfall" by Coldplay. <laughs> here it is. So that was 
an amazing job by Kent and Chen uh, with the backbeats. Check them out on iTunes. Check them out everywhere. They're very good. Uh, now we're going to talk about Kenton's solo act for a second. And we're done. No, he toured with Ben Folds this summer as his opening act, uh, colleges all across America. And he has uh, a new album out called Fierce Tears. Yes, I have a new EP out. I was way off. It's okay. Um, albums are much bigger, I guess. They're okay, like 12 Trent. songs. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. Well, you, had a, you did have an album out called Something About Love. What is it called? It's something About Love. Something About Love. Yeah. Okay. Um, basically the premise of it was every song had something about love. Oh, well that's easy enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about Fierce Tears. Tears for Fears. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this song. We're going to play a little bit for our audience. Yeah, um, about, I guess, two years ago now, um, a close friend of mine, uh, revealed to me that he was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And being the very awkward person that I am, I didn't know how to respond to him. So instead I wrote a song about it. Uh, and that's basically what it is. It's based on a poem by Dylan Thomas called Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Well, and this is an amazing song and I didn't know that backstory till now so it makes it all the more powerful. This is Kenton Chen with Fierce Tears. You took the midnight Eastbound and flight to Chicago We bid goodbye and thought that all was fine I watched you go How could I know that the time we'd left between us was so fleeting It's not right to lose your light so early on, but I will find to live a life worth holding on. Keep, keep holding on, you're not gone. Keep, keep holding on They say two years and I say to health what they say It's such a waste of time to count the days Come on, let's move We've yet to choose all the dangers and will be chasing Every thrill I share with you is no replacing But it's not right to lose your light so early on But I will find to live a life worth holding on Fierce Tears, uh, not to be confused with Tears for Fears. 
Um, and it's yes. available and it's amazing. And I want you to tell us a little bit about the tour and how your music was received. Is there ever a time when you hear one of your songs and you think it's going to do better than another song of yours and people just gravitate toward a song you don't expect them to? You know, I, I don't think I've had that experience yet. You know your audience that well. Good job. Not exactly. I think, I think, um... Like, you know, there are certain songs, like, I think with my old album, there are certain songs that I did that I really, really loved that I had a feeling probably wouldn't do that well. And they did, because they were very artsy-fartsy, and I used words that I, were really, really lofty, and I thought, you know, I was painting pictures with words, but really I was just painting confusion. Yeah, where, where do you draw the line between knowing you have to sell a song and getting your artistic rocks off? Well, I think... Like, talk, talk to me a little bit about your songwriting process. It's different for each artist. Absolutely. Paint us a picture for what it's like for Kenton Chen. Does he sit down every morning at 9 a.m. like Tennessee Williams? Does he sit down whenever he feels like it, like Cordy Love? What's your process? I'm a huge amalgamation, I think, of different processes. I'm definitely not disciplined enough to sit there every single day at a specific time. Although I probably should be doing that if I want to be getting better at what I'm doing. But... You hear that, kids? You hear that? Practice, practice. Practice. Oh, now, I forgot the third. Okay. Practice. <laughs> oh, okay. Practice, practice. I've been writing songs since, gosh, I think my first one was in fifth grade or something. It was actually based off a Mary-Kate and Ashley video <laughs> uh, that I saw at my elementary school. It's called Nothing to Do. And I wrote, that so I wrote a song based off their song, Nothing to Do. Um, and I guess from there it was just magic, you know, yeah. nothing to do. I'm going to write songs. It, it really goes back and forth. You know, there are days where I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write a song and I'm going to try to write something. And then what comes out is poo poo, you know, and it just sounds kind of <laughs> adjective of the day. It just, it sounds really, either it sounds like something that somebody wrote in two seconds because I basically did. Um, or it sounds like the lamest pop song you've ever heard that is so, you know, repetitive and all that stuff. Uh, now, when you're doing this live tour with Ben Folds, incredible experience, amazing exposure for you. What was it like being an opening act? Do you ever feel like the opening act? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> people coming in, people texting, people not paying attention. What was it? Absolutely. I think the hardest shows that I had were the ones that were outdoor. But, but then it's really hard to tell, actually. I think I learned so much from being on tour. And growing up, to tell you the truth, I always thought that I was a very homebody person. I always thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna be that person who's gonna grow up wanting to, you know, have kids at that two and a half kids and the white picket fence. Because I grew up in Irvine, you know, a very suburban place. Um, and then I was on tour and I loved it. And I was so confused, you know, because I was like, wait, I'm on the road constantly. And I'm meeting so many different people, and I'm nervous all the time. That's something I am definitely going to admit to. It's just, before every show, I think I would have, like, a, a good, like, five-minute freakout, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, you're literally just like, I don't know what this audience is going to be like. And sometimes you think it's going to be the worst show ever, and it turns out to be really, really good. What did you learn from Ben Folds himself on the tour? The biggest thing I learned... When I was on tour, I think was when I was in Utah. Um, you mean I, Utah? Utah, yeah. I was I was performing uh, in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. And for some reason, 
Um, it's funny because you talked about it with uh, Deborah on their last podcast too. Thank you for the plug. Yes, on the uh, on one of the shows right before I, I was just browsing online and I had accidentally maybe saw some review and clicked on to see other reviews and other reviews and I it most most part it seemed like everything was very positive and then I saw one that literally was the most acidic review ever and I literally it was five minutes before I was going on stage and I was they just, just panned you it was I, they were just mean it was just like I don't I don't remember what I said but it was something they were just like oh this is the worst open I've ever seen you know I and yeah, yeah. I literally was just like okay that sucks not only for me but for everybody in the audience right now because I'm about to go on stage with a bruised ego right right yeah and it took me a while I had to like literally take a deep breath in and be like hey you're not so bad. <laughs> Look in the mirror. Call mom. <laughs> yeah. You're the man. Yeah. yeah, you are. You are. You know, and I and I t- talked to Ben afterwards in the um, on the bus, and I, I said, "Oh man, you know, I just I don't know. I I feel like that performance wasn't that good because I had seen something." And he said, "You know, look, you can't read that stuff." Ricky can't read that stuff, you know, and he said, you, with everything that you come out with, not even just a show, but with every album that you come up with, like, you're probably going to get 50% love it, 50% hate it. The next thing you do, people are going to be like, oh, but I like the old stuff. And the other people are going to be like, oh, I like the new stuff so much better. And you're not going to be able to please everybody. Well, you somehow find a way to please everybody, and um, you do a great job, no matter what the evil people of the cyber world say. Um... Uh, I want to talk to you about this one song I really like of yours called Elena. Mm. Um, I'll give you time, um, but <laughs> and uh, uh, we're um, don't worry, we're gonna play a a, a reasonable clip. Um, but I joke with you a little bit before that you say Elena eighteen times in this song. Well, Elena <laughs> is a very important person. Yes, it's an amazing song. I really like it. You just completely show your your powerhouse vocals and is there anything about that song because i like it can you tell me why you think i like it other than the fact that you hear a name 18 times yes um i think it's of all my songs in that album i think it's the most relatable and it's really it was a practice of mine to really try to keep it as simple as possible and it it really did stem out of a very very personal emotion of mine you know and yes I really do have a friend that I am talking to in this and I think that is probably the strength of the song and the fact that I wasn't trying to tell a story you know with a lot of my songs I have a whole scenario in hand I have you know okay this is where the song's gonna go and you get to the bridge and I want to say this and I want to say that well there was none of that BS in there like the entire thing was just me talking you know I, re- I remember I can still remember every time I sing it, the first time I played it for her. And and I think that's what's coming across in that song. Well, it's a beautiful song, and I'd like to give our listeners a chance to check it out. Here's Kenton Chen singing Elena. Wide awake and I can't drift myself to sleep I feel like my heart's about to leave Back and forth scenarios play in my head And not a one puts me to bed 
We gave you plenty of time, um, but never enough time with Kent and Chen. We want to thank you very much for coming on TP with TP, uh, and thank you, and we wish you the continued success, and you're on the right track, as they say. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. All right. Take it easy. Well, that about does it for us this week. Uh, we really want to thank you for checking in, and uh... hello. Hey, guy from my apartment complex. What a... Shocker, how are you? Welcome. Oh, I was, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I always feel like I'm interrupting something. I know, it's weird. Um, I was just coming by to thank you for, uh, for picking me up when my uh, car broke down the other day. Oh, no, not a problem. Yeah, just um, for the benefit of our guests, guy from my apartment complex, uh, I was having some car troubles. As uh, you've heard on previous episodes, his car, a.k.a. Isaac, um, a 2000... 2000 yellow Volkswagen Beetle. 2000 yellow Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> a Volkswagen Beagle um, was having some issues, and recently, yeah, it um, it had to go visit the um, mechanic. So what happened? Well, uh, it it has ongoing problems. Um, I've been driving without a second gear for some time, uh, but it, it started to overheat um, about two weeks ago, and I, uh, uh, I luckily I didn't it didn't break down. I was able to call in a tow truck and have it picked up. And I, I, I work in schools. I believe I've mentioned before on this program that I, uh, I teach chess. 
uh, in after school programs. Kind of like teaching war. Yeah. Exactly like that. I like to think of it as an extension of my more violent um, pathologies. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I called in um, to AAA to have my car towed before I taught my hour-long class. Um, and as I came out of the class, there were, as I turned the corner towards my car, uh, a group of kids came just running and screaming and really excited as the, there was a tow truck parked in front of my car we were like hey is your car getting towed like hey and i was like yeah and they like freaked out they're like super excited like yeah his car is getting towed like the day is like finally. cheering yeah cheering <laughs> ranting raving balloons confetti you know like as i'm as i'm thinking of like the hundreds and hundreds of dollars that i don't have <laughs> i'm about to be charged to get my car fixed these kids are in rapturous delight now where were their parents if you were at their uh, humble abodes were they just like inside baking really good cookies that they weren't sharing with you or wh- where were the adult figures oh well the parents were outside they, they were outside watching cheering all, along all um and a it, family affair yeah and i i went up to the parents and i was like yeah i'm, I'm like i thought you know Something had happened, and I was like taking a parking spot. Um, they were like, and I was like, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, the kids can go inside." Um, <laughs> Please let the kids inside and put them on their leashes. Uh, and the parents were like, "So your car is getting towed? Why is it getting towed?" Like, it was completely uninteresting. Like, uh, uh, the radiator had a broken fan and had to be replaced. Like, you know, not interesting at all. But I gained some. Notoriety in Encino, California. Just today, I was I was walking down the street, and a child called out to me, "Are you the guy who had his car towed?" And you were happy to say, "Yes, that's that's me." Um, yeah, well, I went to pick you up, a uh, guy from my apartment complex, at the uh, mechanic or Michelinic, whatever it's called, and um, it was getting kind of dark, and it's been getting dark earlier and earlier. Good and- God, yes. Are, it, are you okay? It doesn't get dark, Tom. It's always dark. Um, this has gotten very grim. Would you please elaborate before you scare off any potential listeners? Well, as as many of you as many of you know, um, Congress enacted this little thing called daylight savings time. I've heard of it. Uh, I believe it was it was during World War Two. I don't I don't know the particulars on this. You're probably watching this thing on your smartphones, and you can just look it up yourselves and pretend that I said it. Uh, but yes, they enacted this for the benefit of farmers who wake up very early in the morning. I believe I speak for most of America when I say that I am not a farmer waking up early in the morning. I wake up at Wait, a reasonable but you hour. know that we are farmers. <laughs> I don't need that extra hour of sunlight in the morning. I need it at the end of the day when I want to have a pleasant drive home after work or do anything. But right now... I'm sitting in this room at 5.46 in Los Angeles, and it is completely dark outside. It's, it's hard out here for a guy from my apartment complex. It gets dark fast, but what would you suggest? So the, you should say the farmers get up mad early, forget about it? I would say, you know, if you're a farmer, you're a person who doesn't rely on like having to be at work at a particular time. You don't have to rely on the stock market being open at a particular time. You don't have to work a nine to five. If the sun is out and you need the sun out, wake up with the sun. I, however, am tied to actual times. I have no choice. I have to be at schools at a particular hour. I am assigned, not like these freeloading aggro bums. (laughs) He does not speak for the program. He does not speak for the program. Uh, My deceased grandfather included, I suppose. Um, 
who just are are monopolizing our our sunshine. Yes. Did you ever watch the show Mr. Sunshine on ABC? Yes, I I loved that show. Probably because it had sunshine in it. Very deeply. Um, if any executives at ABC are listening, you made a terrible mistake. And... Well, you know they aren't. No. <laughs> um, guy from my apartment complex. Guy from my apartment complex. You are known to have a pun here or there. What do you got for us this week? Oh, I have a double dose for you this week. Proceed. Uh, well... My uncle is a rather eccentric doctor who keeps a, a vast collection of animal prosthetics, including his most treasured, which are animal extremities that he keeps in a particular jar labeled faux paws. I don't even know what to say. My aunt married in by marriage. She is Vietnamese and she owns a soup kitchen. Uh, where she uses actual extremities of animals, uh, and these are pho paws. And that's that. <laughs> um, now you, I know you, you follow sports mm -hmm. as best you can. I occasionally walk by and see in your window you'll be watching something. You actually have a very interesting situation where you never put down your blinds. It's always just light bulb, and then it's like a doll's house. Not Ibsen's, but like you can just see inside everything what you're doing. Life in the fishbowl, yeah. Exactly. Uh, what's the saying about throwing um, rocks at glass houses? Don't Always. Throw. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. Um, especially if people's cars are getting towed and throw rocks. My question to you as a sports fan is, with the NBA lockout happening, how are you surviving? Well, I, I'm not only surviving, Tom, I am thriving. So you're not an NBA guy? No, I, I despise the NBA. Really, if there is an organization that is vastly overrated and gets way too much play, it's definitely the NBA. Well, the NBA is certainly not getting any play now. They say it stands for no basketball anymore. So what, um, what have you been watching? Well, I, I watch what I watch every year, um, with the exception of the lockout year. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, my favorite team in the National Hockey League. Oh, very interesting. Um, I've been following that Sidney Crosby has made his return. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it'll be very nice for uh, NBC Sports or Versus or the Outdoor Life Network or whatever they're calling themselves this week to be able to focus on a player who actually is on the ice as opposed to their continuing coverage of players not on the ice. So you're saying that NBC basically is only focused on Sidney Crosby because of his absence, not because of his impact on the first place Penguins? Yeah, yeah, and it, it's, it's been really upsetting that the only thing ESPN has been able to talk about, when it's been a fantastic hockey season, all they've talked about up to this point is what a shame it is that Sidney Crosby isn't playing. It would be like if last year they were saying, you know, this NBA season's great, but man, Jordan hasn't played all year. Yeah, he hasn't played all decade. Seriously. It's been, I, I, I miss him. I miss his Wizards days, <laughs> to be honest. Um, well, you always know how to spin magic, and we really want to thank you for coming on the program, and... Um, yeah, uh, hope all is well in your world. It always is. All right, that's our program. Thank you so much for checking us out. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We want to take this moment to thank our guests. Thank you to Peter Lenz, Kenton Chen, guy from my apartment complex. Special thanks to Sammy J for the rhythms. Thank you, Bob. As always, thank you, Trent. You'll see us next time, or you'll hear us next time, on TP with TP. That's the podcast with Tom Polos. There's always more at thepolosgrounds.com. Happy New Year's.